Little knowledge and a rabbit around They break the back family stories down Gotham people in danger and pain Yell thank God as he swings down to save them Batmobile races through a red light The GCPD has enough for tonight Coast to coast Chris and Jerry host Bat books for beginners Joker's Toast Chris and Jerry host Bat books for beginners Hello and welcome to this edition of TBU's Bat Books for Beginners, episode 182. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book Chris and I are covering is Gotham Underground. Chris, tell us a little bit about this book. Thank you very, very much, Jerry. Hey, nice rendition of Godzilla. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Batfans. Thank you very much for downloading and spending some of your time with us today. Gotham Underground is a 224 full-color, soft-cover trade paperback that was published in November 2008 and had a cover price of $19.99. Online vendors have this for about $5 less for a used copy and about $10 more for a new copy. This trade paperback collects the nine-issue limited series of the same name, with issue number one cover dated back December 2007, and the final issue, number nine, cover dated August 2008. The individual issues were originally priced at $2.99 per copy. This series does appear to be available on Comixology. If you're considering a hard copy version of this story, it's almost a wash between the cost of the individual issues and the trade paperback. Mm-hmm. I think the individual issues can be had for just under $2 if you're savvy and have the drive to build a complete run. One cool payoff in having the individual issues is that if you lay the covers out in a 3 by 3 grid, they form one great big image of practically every hero and villain in the Batman cast of characters. And side note, when this series initially came out, I did make color copies of the covers, and I hung them up in my work cubicle. It was really impressive. Nice. Yeah. I think we have some new or... Or not as often mentioned, folks, for our creative teams. Per usual, I'm going to go off my memory and some online resources. For our writer, we had Frank Thierry. Thierry was born in Brooklyn, New York. And I think it was around the year 2000 when I first encountered his work over on Marvel Comics in the titles Wolverine and X-Men. Among his numerous credits, he's also worked on Deadpool, Batman and the Outsiders, and Catwoman. Most recently, Thierry is finishing up a run of writing Harley Quinn at the time of this recording, which Jerry and I have both been enjoying. (laughs) And he's also currently working on Jughead the Hunger, Mm. and that's another series Jerry and I enjoy. Frank Thierry can be found on Twitter at Frank Thierry. I unfortunately couldn't find much biographical information of Jim Calafiore, who penciled this story. Calafiore is a writer and an artist. I think it was on Aquaman nearly 20 years ago when I first ran into his work. He's worked on both Marvel and DC. You can find more about him on his website, jimcalafiore.com, and he's currently on the convention circuit. The anchor on this was Jack Purcell, and the colorist was Brian Reber. Now, as Jerry is soon going to tell us, there are a lot of characters that will appear in this story. (laughs) 
and it could easily stretch into a two to three hour podcast oh, if we yeah. delved into the background of all of them. I'm going to give you some background about one of the characters that does have a large role in the story, and that's the character Tobias Whale. Mm-hmm. Tobias Whale is one of the villains that appears in the story. Tobias Whale was created by Tony Isabella and Trevor Von Edom. He first appeared in Black Lightning, number one, cover dated April 1977. Fans may recall that his base of operations was Metropolis, where he worked his way up the rackets to head the criminal organization known as the 100. This was a criminal organization that was first mentioned in Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 105, in the early 1970s. This character has appeared in an episode of Beware the Batman, where he appeared as a villain. More recently, he's one of the villains currently on the Black Lightning TV series. Mm. He's portrayed by Marvin Jones III, a.k.a. the artist known as Crondon. Mm. Other characters featured are, we have the Vigilante. This would be the eighth mm-hmm. version of the character that was running around wow. the DC at the time. Yeah, this version of the character would be Dorian Chase. And at the time, he was involved in a story arc in the Nightwing title. And at the time, Nightwing was being written by Marv Wolfman. Side note, uh, the story arc was called 321 Days that, if memory serves, I don't think we ever got full resolution on that. We also have uh, Bruno Mannheim, one of the leaders of the cr- criminal organization known as Inner Gang. Mm-hmm. We also have a group called the New Rogues, a group of characters based on Flash villains consisting of Burn, Mirror Man, Mr. Magic, and the Weather Witch. Mm-hmm. We also have a group called the LOD. That's a group of villains based on the Legion of Doom. <laughs> We also have the Five Points Gang, a group of new Teen Titans. Uh, well, they're, they're group, based on the group of the new Teen Titans villain, the Fearsome Five, with the looks and appearance. There's a group called the Femme Fatales, how original. A female gang based on Catwoman, Hyena, Magenta, Silver Swan, and the Prankster. There's a group of villains here also called the Dead End Boys, not to be confused with the Dead End Kids. Totally That's different. a gang, yeah, it's totally different. That's a gang based on the Suicide Squad. And if that's not enough, we also have a group called the Bat Killers, a gang based on existing Batman villains, including a female version of Bane. Mm. Yeah, now most, if not all of the group, were, weren't even identified in the story or given code names. And, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> a lot of these people would meet their demise in the miniseries Final Crisis Rogue's Revenge number two. Yeah, that's too bad. That's too bad. Yeah, speaking of other limited series, Gotham Underground also ties in with the limited series Salvation Run. Salvation One was based on a pitch by George R.R. R. Martin. Yes, wow. that George R.R. Martin who created and wrote the Game of Thrones series. The premise of Salvation Run was that the majority of the DC villains were all captured by the Suicide Squad and they were imprisoned on a distant planet. And this shows their alliances and factions plotting their escape. Hmm. Yeah. Now, over on Amazon, Amazon.com, Gotham Underground has a rating of three and a half stars out of Five based on eight customer reviews, and over on the website Goodreads.com, Gotham Underground has a rating of 3.22 stars out of five, based on 243 ratings and 23 reviews. So pretty close. Yeah. Uh, but the question remains: How <laughs> Jerry and I rate this book? Stay tuned. Don't change the channel. And with that, I shall turn it back over to you, Jerry. Thanks, Chris. So we're going to talk about this story after a few messages from some of our friends. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroad Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. 
Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I've been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Bats lovers. Welcome back. Here is the story of Gotham Underground. Gotham has been teetering on the edge of a gang war ever since Black Mask was killed back in War Games. Bruce is undercover in Penguin's gang as Matches Malone, and Tim is doing his best to help out the GCPD. Several super criminals have been disappearing. Nightwing shows up at Penguin's club and the gang members pull out special ray guns. Where did they come from? The Galante mob wants to split the city with the Odessa mob, but they can't agree who gets which part of the city. As talks break down, Tobias Whale arrives and harpoons some of the goons. He says that both mobs will support him as he takes over Gotham. They'll support him or else. Way to make an entrance, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he harpoons back. The whale harpoons back. A whale has left Metropolis for Gotham's grimier pastures. He proposes they form a crime commission that he will head. They'll drive out all the superheroes from Gotham and take over. Penguin is meeting with some of the supervillains that he knows, and they're discussing their plans when the Suicide Squad breaks in and picks them all up. They pick up Matches Malone as well. Matches is taken to Blackgate Prison. Money changes hands between the guards. Victor Zaz is going to play with Matches. (laughs) <laughs> well well written there, Gary. That was nice. <laughs> Penguin has been left behind at the club. He's talking with Riddler when a new gang member, Freddy DiNardo, shows up for a chat. Tim notices this, and Tim is trying to hold down the bat fort in Gotham, but he is being trailed by... Spoiler. What's going on? What is going on? I'm not sure. In Blackgate, Victor Zaz attacks Matches in his cell. Matches beats the killer, but not before getting a bloody stab wound, which sends him to the infirmary. But old Matches isn't as badly hurt as he pretended. He just wanted to get closer to a room he had suspicions about. The prisoners in Blackgate are rioting, and Matches has to fight, fight the guards so he can get to the mysterious prison room. He fights his way to the room 
only to find that it holds great white shark. Ah, so that's what happened to the guy. Yeah, okay. That's where he ended up. Tobias Whale and Penguin face off over dinner at the Iceberg Lounge. Whale puts Oswald on notice that he is going to take over Gotham. Tim huddles with Oracle to try to figure out what's going on across Gotham. She notes that Whale was driven out of Metropolis by one Johnny Stitches. Oracle's lair is attacked by an invisible assailant. Wildcat arrives to help out and gets the see-through attacker. It's Spoiler. Tim takes Spoiler to Oracle, but she uses some weird tech to disappear again and destroy Oracle's computers. Scarface, with Peyton Riley as ventriloquist, has teamed up with a collection of weirdos, uh, including Scarecrow, Lockdown, Killer Moth, and Firefly. Scarecrow thinks that Penguin is a rat and double-dealing between the criminals and the cops. They decide to hit Penguin hard. They go to the Iceberg Lounge and demand Penguin comes out. However, they're faced by a new group of supers, one of whom is Dick Grayson in disguise. Ventriloquist and the gang run away, but are gunned down in an alleyway by Tobias Whale and his gang. Scarecrow is taken prisoner, and Peyton is taken under Whale's protection. Scarecrow is strung up on a pole to be found by the GCPD as a message to Gotham's masks. Yeah, let's see if you scare somebody now, Crane. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Now, Johnny Donetto, also known as Johnny Stitches, arrives in Gotham. Old Johnny has a face made up of patchwork of what could be other people's faces. He's very Hammer Frankenstein-y looking. He has his eye on his hotel escort's ear. He kills her, takes her ear, and Bruno Mannheim, leader of Inner Gang, enters his hotel room. After Tobias Whale had tortured and disfigured Johnny, Mannheim had him crudely sewed back together. Johnny now works for him and drove Tobias Whale out of Metropolis for Bruno. Now in Gotham, Mannheim wants to see how Whale handles Penguin, who also wants to control Gotham. Once Whale and Penguin fight it out, Mannheim will deal with the victor. Penguin has collected a bunch of ne'er-do-well crooks and outfitted them with leftover superhero gear. They are quite a crew. But first, Great White Shark tells Mannheim, uh, tells Matches some backstory. He had been in Arkham, but Bane and the Suicide Squad broke in to pick him up and take him off world. Bane had other ideas and beat him up big time so he couldn't be transported uh, off world. It forced him to be sent to Blackgate. So, Back at Blackgate, the guards attack, but Batman, I mean Matches, knows how to get out of Blackgate. He does. Alfred is ready to pick uh, Matches up in the Batmobile, thanks to Oracle's snooping. Penguin and Whale rally their troops to take over Gotham. Penguin wants Spoiler to assassinate Johnny Stitches. He knows about Inner Gang trying to move in. The two teams start their war. Grayson gets word to Tim about the impending chaos. Dick gets shot by Vigilante and is left for dead. Riddler gets him to a clinic and saves his life. Riddler that knows that Mr. DiNardo is really Nightwing. Riddler goes up to the Iceberg Lounge where Penguin locks him up with some baddies that beat Eddie up. <laughs> <laughs> the battle between Penguins and Wales' teams continue. Huntress and Cassandra, uh, Wildcat and Robin, join the fight. Whale's forces are overwhelmed, and Whale is found and captured. Penguin forces him to join his side against Inner Gang. 
Vigilante is killing whales, guys, but Batman shows up and puts the hurt on him. Johnny Stitches, the inner gang ambassador, meets with Penguin and tells him that inner gang has lured Tobias Whale onto their side. He also threatens the families of Oswald's gang. The gang abandons Penguin. Spoiler 2. And Stitches orders Penguin out of Gotham or be killed. Penguin chooses death and says goodbye to his gang. Riddler shows up and offers to help out Penguin. Penguin refuses and turns to the Iceberg Lounge over to him rather than see Inner Gang get it. Riddler leaves and Inner Gang shows up to kill Oswald. Batman arrives, however, and saves the bird. Batman shows Penguin that the Bat family and assorted heroes are now fighting Inner Gang. And Batman tells Penguin that Batman is the baddest dude in Gotham and Penguin works for him now. Penguin will be his eyes and ears against Inner Gang. And Pengy agrees. Johnny Stitches <laughs> go to, goes to Bruno Mannheim's office and finds him with Tobias Whale, his new partner. Stitches attacks his former tormentor, but is overwhelmed by the intergang thugs. Mannheim tells him that Whale is now part of the operation and he will cooperate or die. The end. Wow. So Chris and I are going to talk about our feelings for this story after these words from some of our friends. Warlord Worlds, a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Star Slayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. hope you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. Welcome back. So, Chris, what did you think about Gotham Underground? Well, Jerry, you know, on recent podcasts... I've said the rereads of the trade paperbacks that they weren't as bad as I remember them. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was reading Gotham Underground here, my past memories were so great and favorable. But rereading it this time, I thought, well, this is very good, but perhaps not as quite as high as I recalled it. I thought this started out pretty good, had a decent middle, but then started to lose a little of its footing. And by the last third of the story, it got to be a little muddled and confusing with all the characters running around. And I have to confess, I started to get a little lost. Mm. Uh, I thought the art was overall very, very good. Great depiction of all the bad cast. And it was great to see them all encompassed in one story with all our heroes and all our villains under one trade paperback cover. So those were my initial impressions. I know we're going to pick this apart a little bit, but what did you initially think, Jerry? Well, I, you know, this is a follow on, you know, we're still kind of dealing with the fallout from war games here. Um, Yes. And it seemed for my taste. This was a little too gang warry for me. Um, there were a lot of teams. There were a lot of shifting alliances. And, you know, that has been, you know, the, especially the first um, part of War Games handled that very successfully. I don't think it's as successful here. It, I, I didn't, you know, 
all these bad guys, they want to take over Gotham. And, you know, whenever there's a gang war, everybody always wants to take over Gotham. And it's, you know, Penguin has his guys and, um, you know, Whale has his guys and Inner Gang has their guys. And, you know, the Odessa gang and the Galantes and the combinations, they're, you know, shifting alliances. And it's just a little all over the place for me um, this time. I didn't really feel connected to anybody. Uh, any one group or, you know, other than obviously, you know, Batman and the Bat family. Um, so this story did not work for me as well as um, others have. And to be honest, you know, these war kind of uh, gang war stories aren't my cup of tea anyway. However, I do have to say, you know, Frank Thierry, we, you mentioned him before when you discussed um, his other work. I really like Frank Thierry's sense of humor. There's some great shout outs in the story. There's one line where they're um, in a in a restaurant and the you know the line is try the veal, it's the best in the city. <laughs> Which was from The Godfather. Yes. yes. Um, it doesn't end that well in The Godfather, and it doesn't end much better here. There's always there's also a, you know, well, come out to play, which is a shout out <laughs> to the Warriors. Um, yeah. And, uh, at the end, you know, throughout this, um, Gordon is kind of telling Tim like, well, you're, you're good at this, but you're no Batman. And, you know, you're not as quiet and stealthy as Batman is. And at the very end, you know, there's the gag that Tim has snuck up on Gordon and, you know, put a, uh, stuck a, you know, taped a, a sign to his back, you know, president of the Robin fan club. And this is all just Frank Thierry. And I, this is why I really like Frank Thierry as a writer. Um, oh, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how about you? Do you, is there anything in, uh, in particular that stood out here? Well, there were a few things. One thing, you know, for whatever reason, I could never warm up to Great White Shark. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, seeing the inclusion of Tobias Well being here, I don't know if it's because I'm one of these old-timey uh, comic book fans who can remember his initial appearance back in the 70s. So I, I accepted it with full plausibility with somebody from Metar- Metropolis muscling in on Gotham territory. Mm-hmm. Then I had to stop and think about that. Is this just me? And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Jerry, for this particular podcast was, do you, did you, did it seem plausible that knowing what you know of uh, the Gotham villainy and uh, gang hierarchy, that someone uh, would come in outside, from the outside from Metropolis like Whale did here, mm-hmm. granted knowing that uh, the gang is are sort of in disarray with the death of Black Mask, mm-hmm. but would it be more trouble than it's worth or did it seem plausible that Tobias Well would invade this territory? You know, it seemed to me that somebody that wanted the territory would come in and be making deals with, you know, some of the more major players. I don't know. It it seemed a little it seemed a little convenient, to be honest. That mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I realize that in these stories you're trying to make a complex, you know, alliances. It makes it it can make it more interesting. But I don't think this was really a terribly plausible um, plan for anybody. Um, you know, it seems like Inner Gang wanted to force Tobias Whale into Gotham to break things up so that they could come in. Um, okay, that seems like a, a, a risky plan, though, to me. What did yes. you think? Uh, 
I, I, I took it for what it was. I, I accepted it. And I, I don't know if it's because I, I thought he was such a formidable uh, foe from the times I initially saw him back when I was a kid in the 70s. Mm-hmm. One of the things, though, we were swinging that uh, I had in my notes, you pretty much covered it with all the great, brilliant little asides that Thierry did, especially with the ending with uh, taping the sign on Gordon's back. That was classic. <laughs> I'll swing the pendulum the other way now. There were a few little nitpicks and quibbles that I had. I thought this started very swimmingly, but once we got to issue number five, I think things sort of got a little muddled and confusing for me. And, Jerry, this was the issue that uh, some of the panels were arranged like jigsaw puzzle pieces. And we had a lot of characters running around, and one character in particular that appeared to be female, she was wearing this midriff, and she had a T-shirt that said three, three, two, one. Mm -hmm. And for the life of me, I could not figure out what was going on there. I know this sort of tied into the Nightwing uh, storyline going on in the comics at the time, but this character never has her face revealed. There's always a convenient blank jigsaw puzzle placed on her face. And I, who is this? And I don't know if we ever got the full answer on that. And that's just one thing that kind of, that was a little nitpick and a little bother that I had. Did, did we ever find out who this was or was this just me or? No, I didn't, uh, you know, and even as I was, I read it through once and I was wondering that as I went. And then as I was doing the recap, <clears throat> I, I was expecting, Oh, well I just must've missed it. Um, but no, I didn't. And, there are a lot of things that aren't really explained here. The the funky ray guns and the you know invisibility stuff that spoiler has. I'm sure later, story wise, that these things will be explained in another volume, uh, but they're not here. And there's I think a lot going on here that's a little confusing. Especially yeah, when we get to like uh, the copycat villains and these Ursats mm-hmm. uh, versions of these characters, we had the LOD based on the Legion of Doom, the yep. uh, uh, Five Points Gang, which was based on the Fearsome Five group that battles the New Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. And it would have been nice if there was just like a little caption, just with with pointing the character's name and a little arrow going to them. But we really didn't have that here, and I couldn't tell if some of these characters were based off of other characters or if they were original mm-hmm. because sometimes they weren't picture-perfect mirror versions of, of, of their doppelganger. Right. You know, it was just a little muddled. And did we really need all of these groups to be completed? <laughs> you know, it was, just like, it was like, you know, somebody looked in an encyclopedia and looked up every uh, DCU gang of villains and, and, and just tried to copy them. You know, I, I, I thought that was really... Really strange, and usually this is stuff I, I enjoy is seeing like some copycat characters. But for, for some reason, I don't know if it was the overkill, it just didn't click for me mentally, and I don't know why. But I, I just, I just, it sort of took me out of the story a little bit. Yeah, well, there was a couple of things in that in that area. Like if you recall, that Dick was imagining that you know when he was after he had been shot that Leslie uh, Tompkins was helping him, but it turns out it was it was Riddler. That just seemed to be like a random, you know, a couple of page, you know, that they were trying to um, add a plot point that never really went anywhere. And also in that area, you know, Riddler knew that this person he saved uh, is Nightwing, but he doesn't recognize him as Dick Grayson. Yeah, I right. That just didn't make sense. Yeah, I, I mean, he's sure out so. of his uniform or whatever. Didn't I mean? How many times did Riddler? He must have known Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. That just seemed a little odd. Um, that was odd. Um, trying to think of some of the positives. I did like the artwork. There were some great splash panels with, with that, and the fight scenes were really, really good. Uh, this was sort of 
I don't want to say uh, Calafiori is in the same class as perhaps George Perez, but he does a yeoman effort putting all of these characters into place, especially in the battle sequences. Mm-hmm. The storytelling was really, really craftable with the artwork in some places, particularly I think it was in issue number seven where there were uh, two sides of the gang factions talking on yes. one to the left panel and one to the right panel, and it was just coming into play, and in the center page we had like the, the main action happening. So there was some really good artwork here. Uh, a lot of side profiles with Penguin, mm-hmm. maybe much so you never – saw a full-on shot of Penguin. I think it's sort of hard to draw the character looking at him uh, straight on facially, so sometimes you see, see an artist kind of, I wouldn't say they're cheating, but they sort of do Penguin in a profile so you can make sure they get the nose sticking mm-hmm. out a little bit there. Uh, Terry is really, really good with uh, females into the, the fighting scenes. Manchester Malone looked like Manchester Malone. This was really good. It was like, you know, everyone is a perfect character. Some of the characters looked a little clunky, but I almost am tempted to give it a pass with just with all the volume of people running around here, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I don't know what he was up against to get this thing, but there, there, there are a lot of crowded panels in this, yes. and I think overall he did a really fair job with it. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, I particularly like that panel you mentioned. That's uh, with the, you know, the the gangs and the sides and the action in the middle. That was really terrific. The other thing I, the thing I like probably most about this story. Was the Penguin and Riddler, the way they were depicted together, and also Riddler. I like him as this kind of um, almost clean, you know, private detective. I really like that Riddler, and the way that Penguin and Riddler were talking to each other, and they kind of recognize each other as equals. They're different, but they're you know on the same level. And I really, really like this version of these characters. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one thing I forgot to put in my notes, but I, I saw that you did, and I, I'm so happy you included that because that's one thing I wanted to touch on. Because right away, uh, I think when we initially see them, he goes to the Iceberg Lounge, and he's sort of having this beef with Harvey, uh, Two Face, and uh, you could see that uh, Penguin's a little dismissive towards Harvey, but he gives the utmost class and respect to uh, Riddler because he knows that, you know, he respects him mentally and he knows where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. He, at least, you know, he can hold a conversation and, and you can see right out of the gate that there's this understated uh, or perhaps overstated, you know, with how, how you take it, you know, giving him a, a drink on the house mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and how that's done. That was really good. Converse that, flip it to where we are now with the Riddler. As, as much as I love Tom King's run on Batman, uh, we, we get, we're getting the revelation that, uh, Edward Nigma, the Riddler is this, this is a killer and he has no qualms about it. He's, he's a murderer. And I, I don't know if we're, the character is sort of steering away and, and becoming a little more, uh, as if he wasn't mentally just, yes, yes, uh, you know, Riddler always kind of, it was more about the riddle and the crime, not so much about the killing. And now this killing is almost taken on this mass murder uh, uh, context that I, I don't, I don't know if I, I find favorable. And I, I'm, I'm surprised that some fandom aren't speaking out a little bit more yeah. about it uh, because I know there is a, a core group of uh, fans out there who are really huge Riddler fans, and just to see him taken into this dark, darker uh, light. It's a little troubling, and it's, it's nice to see this particular character here and the way he's depicted. I, I kind of like this version, as you, as, as you are saying. 
And the other thing too, I heard on another podcast that Riddler, uh, a lot of people are taking the Riddler character and their background from him is from like the video game where he is being a little more darker in that. And I don't know if, you know, I can see if a video game is maybe your takeaway from the character too, but no. all, all I'm saying is, you know, as a longtime comics fan, you, you have to respect a little bit of the character's history. And I think if you, 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 you take this, not quite 180 turn to them it can be a little bit off-putting at least for me as a, as a longtime fan yeah i i totally agree and the thing i like about this in particular is right you have penguin who's presumably a businessman everybody knows he's shady and in this case riddler who's also trying to you know portray himself as a businessman also a little bit shady and they're just more interesting characters than just complete you know, psychopaths. And I think even in this story, I didn't mention it in my synopsis, but Joker comes into the iceberg lounge and he's just, you know, killing people and Penguin and Riddler are just, ugh, now what? <laughs> you know, and, and their comparison to Joker, I mean, these are the three, if you, you know, Catwoman is the fourth, right? But these are the mm-hmm. main Batman villains in my, you know, in my mind. And so mm-hmm. this, kind of configuration of, of them, Penguin and Riddler against Joker, who's a little separate and more psychopathic. Um, I really like the, the, the contrast. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Joker. I had him in my notes as well. He he does a one-off appearance in issue number five, I think. And like you said, he's he's uh, he's a true Joker form. Yeah. You know, he comes up to the table, he says, you're sitting at my table. Oh, we'll move on. No, no, wait, that's okay. You can stay right there. And he just shoots them both in the head, you know, just like, you know. So, and I, that was one of the things that, you know, I think uh, maybe not for quite someone who's a, a young young reader but you know certainly you know this wasn't as as graphic as, as it could have been uh trying to think if there was any, any uh thing that we needed to mention with respect to uh something that might be off-putting for a child reading this with johnny uh, stitches yes thank getting you cut up yes yes yeah that was a little bit rough so that might be that might cause uh a parent some concern if they if they had it gave this book to a child to read so those were the only two things. I can't think of anything else, though, I had in my notes with respect yeah. to uh, being like a uh, kid-friendly book. So yeah. One thing that I did like um, in particular, and, and Frank Thierry does this periodically. Uh, he did it in the Catwoman, um, his, the latest run of Catwoman, his past run, is that he talked a lot about the history of Gotham. He was talking about the history of the Gotham gangs. All the different, you know, the different uh, ethnicities of the gangs and how they really have always run Gotham. And they also talked about the history of the cobble pots, and it was really, really cool. And I love that stuff about Gotham City, um, that background information. I just I think it's very, very neat. And Thierry does it particularly well. I, I agree. And you, those are two things I had in my notes, which really. Boost it, help boost my rating yeah. because when you provide something with the background of Gotham, the history of the city, I think that's good writing. That's good storytelling. Uh, the artwork was really good in the one panel too because one thing they always heard was masks, and then you yeah. see the, the uh, in the foreground there's the, the back of Batman, and in the background there's all these villains uh, mm-hmm. flanked on either side. It was one of the more brilliant uh, pages that Calfior did on this work. So the great, great uh, bit of writing there. Uh, just just uh, something I did not quite expect when reading the story because it sort of came at like uh, – it gives you pause as we're 
you know, we're cutting from scene to scene with a lot of action, but now, now there's a little bit of a history lesson and background interspersed with this too, which, which made this for, for uh, something uh, above par. Terrific. Terrific. And, you know, one, another thing before we forget, we, we see Renee Montoya as the question here. Briefly. Yes. We see her. Briefly, yeah. There were a lot of cameos. We also yeah. got a Cassandra came back girl. Uh, right. Oracle did appear in this, which was pretty cool to see. Barbara Gordon. Uh, the Peyton Riley ventriloquist, mm-hmm. which I, I keep forgetting. It ran around that long. Somehow I thought her, her stint was really short and she didn't have a lot of appearances, but yet here, here we see her again. Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, ventriloquist was never one of my favorite baddies, but I, I didn't really, I didn't really mind Peyton Riley as, as, as the person holding, uh, <laughs> Scarface. So, you know, the, the, you know, I, I guess people really prefer Wesker, and I can see that. But sure. you know, hey, Peyton Riley, that, that yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, sure, I'll take not? it. Yeah, sure, she's, she's interesting. Yes. So, rating wise, where would you where would you bring this, Jerry? I thought we had a lot of characters running around here. I have to confess, Gotham Underground didn't quite age as well as I had hoped. I, I had really fond memories of it, but giving it a second reread. I thought there was just it, it got really really muddled uh, in, in some of the middle and some of towards the latter part with with all these characters running around not being identified. That said, where else can you get uh, a very ambitious story that includes the entire Bat family and a huge cast of villains? So I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of five. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Uh, will I say it's a must-read? No, I won't say it's a must-read, but I, I did enjoy this, and I am going to give this 3.5 out of 5. How about you? Okay. Well, I would go a little lower. I would give it a 3 out of 5, and, and I think the reason is is that I have a, probably a, a less – this, this gang war stuff isn't as interesting to me as it is for other readers, and – um, I think it can be done really well, but like it, it was at the beginning of War Games, I really like that. But I don't think you know it's something has got to be really, really good for me to to click with it. And this one just didn't do it for me as even as you know entertaining as Frank Thierry's writing is. Um, so I think that somebody who does like um, these kind of gang war stories, I think they would, I would recommend it for them, but as a must read or a recommend for somebody who likes things like I did, I would say, you know, no, it isn't for me. Okay. Fair enough. Good. So now Chris and I uh, would like everyone to kind of stay tuned and listen to our next episode because we have something that we are going to announce. Don't we, Chris? Yes, we do, and, and I, I can't wait to get this uh, off the pad, so to speak. You know, right now we're, we're this we got Jerry and I are talking, and we got some things cooking behind the scenes, and uh, we're plotting. We're very <laughs> eager, to say the least, scheming, to say the least, and we're pretty excited about it because uh, uh, this is something that I think we sort of had in the back of our minds, but uh, when Jerry pitched it to me, it was like he was reading my mind and I said, well, this will be great. So I can't, I can't wait to uh, make the announcement uh, because I, I'm, I'm over the moon about this. So I, I hope it's something that uh, the listeners will be happy about and I uh, can't wait to uh, get this in motion. Yes, definitely. So uh, wait for our next episode and uh, we will be talking about that. Now, Bat Books for Beginners is part of the BatmanUniverse.net network. We offer all the Batman-based weekly comic book reviews, news, and some great podcasts, including the flagship comic podcast, Everyone Loves the Drake, Batgirl to Oracle, and so many more. 
If you like what we offer, please consider donating to us at the TBU Patreon account. You can find a link to the Patreon account on the BatmanUniverse.net website. Now, Chris, you can be found on Twitter, can't you? Yes, thank you very much. I can be found on Twitter at BTO and BatBooks. That's at BTO and BatBooks. And speaking of the Batgirl Oracle podcast, I also review the Batman Adventures on there. So please give that a listen if you are so inclined. Yes, thank you very much. Now, Jerry, I have been told and I have seen that possibly you might be on Twitter. Is that is that by chance true? I think I might have an account. Let me see. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy. So um, over there I do, um, you know, I tweet about uh, my new comic books, the comic books I, I've been reading, the things I like. I cover my favorite DC books as well as indie books. I talk about Dark Shadows and Chris and I, uh, we live tweet uh, horror movies at the hashtag Svengoolie and the other MeTV hashtags on uh, Saturday night. We had fun last night. We did. It was It was a pretty wacky movie <laughs> at the time we were recording this a dinosaur is there last night and that was something i had never seen before and i was just taken aback with uh, all the uh stop motion and uh yeah. just the weird cast of characters jerry before i gotta let you go you know the last time i saw at professor frenzy hmm. of course was online but you know recently I saw the words at Professor Frenzy in print, and it was in a comic book of all places. It was. It it was, yes. And I got to tell the readers, the outstanding comic book saga – now, I'm sure fans out there who who read comics are familiar with saga. It's an image title. They recently had their 50th issue, Milestone, which was a uh, great – Great uh, achievement for this book. Saga has a lot of fans. Other podcasts I listen to that cover comics, they will – I've never heard anything uh, ill-spoken about Saga. You will consistently find it on uh, people's uh, 10 best list, top 10 list, uh, top 5 list. Saga is a perennial favorite. And lo and behold, in Saga 50 (laughs) – Cosplay contest in the back, and who should be in this contest and place and make the podium at third place, but none other than G- our own Jerry, and you could see his handle at Professor Frenzy right there. Way to go, Jerry. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. I'm a big Saga fan, too, and it's in my top, definitely in my top ten, probably in my top five comic books, and um, it was just, uh, it was a lot of fun dressing up as, uh, as the Wreath Warriors over there, so if Use this as an excuse to check out uh, Saga, um, especially episode, uh, issue fifty. Although, uh, you know, mature audience warning. This is mature a- audience warning. Yes, <laughs> uh, you know, you you should find this probably the the, the more prudent uh, mm. comic shop owner will have this bagged mm-hmm. uh, because they're you know it's it's some racy content yeah. uh, right out of the gate on the splash page. But Not Jerry, my picture. <laughs> no, Jerry's Jerry's is in the back of the book with the rest of the cosplay contest uh, uh, winners, and I, there were ten I think that placed, and they had, they had their photographs in there, and that was just wow. Were you surprised? Did, how did you get the news? Was it something you had to find out via? Uh, did they send you an email in advance, or did you just see happen to see it in the store? How did that work? Well, uh, you know, Saga's on my pull list, and and it came in. And if you recall, it was the night uh, you were listening to uh, Reggie's um, uh, show, his Mixler, and show. it was your birthday, no less. It was my birthday, and Saga Fifty came out that day, and. Uh, I was just uh, flipping through it as we were listening to Reggie's show, and shazam, 
(laughs) (laughs) Who's that? Who's that guy? Oh. So thanks for bringing that up. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that that had to be a thrill. What a what a birthday surprise for you to get your get your get your photo and the nice mention in, in Saga number fifty. Yeah. That that was really really great. And with that you was, and Reggie right there, it was I could share it with you right away. It was oh, it worth it. Yeah, it that was that was that was all. Oh, I had a lot of fun that night. Yeah, sure did. Sure did. So yeah, we now that we're talking about Reggie, we might as well talk about Cosmic Treadmill and weird comics history. Absolutely. Yeah, he and Chris Sheehan, who's at Ace Comics, and Reggie's at uh, at Reggie Reggie on Twitter. Uh, they discuss classic comics, and uh, you know they do voices and detail, and I mean they are such great comics fans. Uh, I just love listening to their show. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. also, uh, Chris Sheehan also has a um, a blog. Chris is at Infinite Earths, where he goes back and he does all of the um, you know old old comics. He reviews one a day. He's got hundreds and hundreds. He's like hasn't missed a day in I don't know a couple of years so since the flood so uh, yeah lots of fun yeah check like that out. oh absolutely good good stuff there a yeah. uh, recent one that caught my fancy was uh, he's looking at old issues of Action Comics mm-hmm. and he looked at I think it was Action number three hundred uh, thirty three forty four mm-hmm. and this was like I think uh, cover dated uh, sixty six uh, and mm-hmm. <laughs> the cover depicts uh, Alan Funt from Candid Camera opening the phone booth and he catches. Clark Kent changing into Superman. He says, smile, Clark Kent. You're on your candid camera. And just the way that uh, Chris uh, uh, breaks down the story was was a riot. Uh, Love that recent blog by Chris Sheehan. It was a good look at uh, some of the old uh, Silver Age stuff. Just absolutely classic. Great stuff. So, of course, we we also have to mention uh, the Sutherlands, who have some fantastic podcasts out there as well. Uh, they do Warlord World, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Trekker Talk, um, Sensational Sleuths, and Fantastic Fantasies. Um, and we, Chris and I, we've been on their show on um, Warlord Worlds to talk about Batman Mask with them. And they're just a terrific bunch of podcasters and just overall great folks in the comics community that everybody should be checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Can't can't thank them enough for uh, helping promote our show. And I was fortunate enough. We did, like you said, we did an episode with Batman Mask. I, I did a, a stint with a guest spot where I covered a Mike Grill Superboy issue. Oh, That's yeah. the current episode, and we had a lot of fun uh, just listening to how it turned out. It was it was Terrific. remarkable. Just, yeah, it was a, just a fine fine episode with uh, like minded fans of waxing nostalgic about some of the books of your and still praising the current work of Mike Grell. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. Who else do we got? Well, well there's Randy Andrews, of course, right? there's Randy, who does Soundtrack Alley and Gen 13, which are both terrific podcasts that we recommend folks check out. Uh, also, uh, Clinton Robeson does Coffee and Comics podcast, which recently had a an uh, uh, April Fool's uh, episode, which I yeah, uh, well, on and ask you about that. Yeah. yeah, that was really well done. Yeah, nice, nice to see you over there, partner. Hey, thanks, thanks. And he he had a bunch of. There were a lot of really funny uh, bits that definitely I recommend folks go and check out Clinton's uh, Coffee and Comics, uh, particularly the April Fool's uh, uh, podcast. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we also have been listening to Longbox Crusade with Pat, Jason, and Jared, and they've been doing a. In addition to the Longbox Crusade, they've been doing a Sherlock Holmes um, podcast, which goes back to the old '50s TV series show. And boy, I'm, I'm loving that. Have you you've been listening to that? Yeah, that's called Saturday Matinee Theater. And uh, when we get to the comments section, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what they said, but yeah, just an enjoyable show. Yep. 
Yep. And Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace is another terrific podcast I'm really enjoying. Me too. That's with Angela. Angela takes a look at a Golden Age story. Then she'll also take a look at uh, stuff with the uh, George Perez run with uh, happened around the 80s with the crisis. Then she'll take a look at the issue of uh, New 52. Mm-hmm. And then she'll examine an issue of the 70s Wonder Woman TV show. So that's a lot of content. And it she does it a little under an hour, and it's a lot of fun. It's a treat, and I really like her take on all of those stories. Yeah, very, and it's a, a really well, a tightly put together show. A really impressive how she how she puts that together. Yeah, and I, I you know I give her a little slack on Twitter saying you know you, you can release these early. You don't have to wait till the last day of the month to put it out. But if you if you look for an episode of, uh, they tend to drop right in the la- the new episodes tend. To- uh, the second to last day of the month, you know, the, but uh, Angela takes a good spirit and, you know, she's got a lot on her plate to put all yeah. that together and edit it and everything else like that to keep it a tight show. But it's a, a very enjoyable listen to. Yeah. And I just wish it would come out more. But, hey, you know, once a month is 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 not bad. And she does it consistently. She does. She does. Yeah. Now, we've also been listening to uh, Parlapod, which is an, a really well put together podcast as well. I'm really enjoying that one. I am too. Right now, they've also got some uh, interviews with uh, the creators they met at LexCon, so uh, be sure to give that a listen to. I really like everything they cover. You know, they they look at some of the new stuff that's coming out, and they point some things out that you know, hey, oh, maybe I should give this book a try. You know, and you know, and or if it's something that they didn't uh, strike their fancy, you know, I, I, I respect their opinion, and it's something that, uh, well, maybe it's something I can give a pass on. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good to have a podcast out there that's really in tune and, and has all that new stuff on the stands to be examined. You bet, you bet. I'm also listening to Monster Kid Radio, being a uh, cheesy horror movie fan, so that's, uh, I'm really enjoying that one as well. So it's giving me some um, ideas for for new movies to 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 watch. One of which is uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this one, Chris. It's the good Return deal. of the Vampire with Bela Lugosi. It's not a he's not playing Dracula. He's uh he's playing another vampire, but boy, is it good! I I, I can't say I'm familiar with that one. No, yeah, it was really really good. It's one of the actually, um, it's probably it's going to be in the top ten of my all time of that era horror movies. Uh, oh, I have to try to take that then. Okay, yeah, I definitely recommend that. And I got that tip from Monster Kid Radio. So if you like that kind of thing, I definitely encourage you to to check it out. No, so, you sold me. Thanks. All right. So um. Yeah, we did get some, we got some comments. Yeah, let me go those comments out. Yeah, let me go to our mailbag. Let's see. <laughs> First up, we heard from the aforementioned Longbox Crusade. Thanks very much, Pat. Uh, Pat says, Hey guys, thanks for the shout out in support of our new podcast, Saturday Matinee Theater. Would be cool to have you guys on. Hey, thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, that might be nice. We also heard from our friend of the show, Ian Miller at uh, IBM Miller on Twitter. This was regards to the Catwoman Dies story that we reviewed on our last podcast. And Ian chimes in to say, very interesting story that I have not read. I have to admit, I tend to agree that this Catwoman run isn't very classic from what you have said. Yes, thank you so much. I think that's, well, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next up, we heard from Darren and Ruth. Uh, they came to us via the Twitter handle Zenozoic Xenophiles. And regards to our last show, they said, I didn't realize you guys were going to be discussing Rocky and Paul Winkle and friends. <laughs> Wink emoji. Yeah. As someone who has both Rocky and Bullwinkle DVDs oh. and plus a 
plushy collections and who visited the Dudley Do-Right Emporium regularly while living in California, uh, you made me smile from ear to ear. Uh, Exclamation point. Thank you. Yeah, I like when we sort of veer off and <laughs> mention some old pop culture. <laughs> Yes. I don't know how that happened, but it does. I don't know how that happens. And then we heard from Cristados at Cristados oh, yeah. uh, 01. Uh, again, uh, Pat over there. Uh, just, finish, just, finish, ah, just finished listening to another great episode. I look forward to each episode as it helps me find out what Batman has been up to. <laughs> this is the second time in a week that someone has mentioned Rocky and Bullwinkle that I have seen. <laughs> We need a podcast on that show. Yeah, One of my it. favorite cartoons as a kid. I need to go find my VHS uh, episode volumes and my shirts <laughs> of the characters now. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, we can't thank you enough for all those who chimed in. We also had likes and retweets on Twitter from the following. Mm-hmm. The Batman Universe, at Batman Universe. Reggie Reggie, at Reggie Reggie. Xenozoic Xenophile, at Xenozoic Xenophile. Lava Hog, at Lava Hog. Once again, those are our friends at Parla Prod. Yep. Uh, let's see. Weasel Skull at Weasel Skull. That would be, oh, that, <laughs> that's over the, once again, where we go, we got the, uh, folks from Longbox Crusade. Yeah, I think that's the yeah, Pat's brother there. And then, uh, we had, uh, Cristados at Cristados 1. Once again, here we go. Uh, thanks, thanks very much, Pat. Tim Drake podcast at ELTD podcast for everyone loves the Drake. Be sure to stand by and listen to those episodes in May where they're going to have their uh, uh, big audio broadcast, uh, including uh, Stella's got a role from Batgirl to Oracle. And I've heard I've heard the trailer for that. I don't know if you have Jerry, but it sounds really impressive. So I can't wait for those. Yeah. It is going to be great. We also heard from Adrian Austin at Necron two four one eight. Laurel at Mountain Flower One, mm-hmm. Virginia Blues at VA underscore Blues, a perennial <laughs> chimer of our show now. Thanks yep. very much. Uh, speaking of perennials, Jeff Hunter at Jeff Hunt three four nine one one eight five five. New uh, new person on Twitter, M Sean McManus at the Warped One. Mm-hmm. We also heard from Iyer at Pyre Iyer, and she dropped a line saying, "Wanted to be sure I expressed how much I enjoyed your last podcast." Well, thank you very much. That was very nice. And finally, we heard from Dustin Frischel at Bearded Bat Chief. Thank you very much. <laughs> so if I yes, Dustin, thank you so much, Dustin. If I overlooked anyone, please reach out to me on Twitter at B2 on Bat Books, and you can comment or direct message me on Twitter as well. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, so that's all Chris and I have for today. Please join us in two weeks when Chris and I will cover the resurrection of Rachel Ghoul. That should be exciting. Ooh, and yes. also, don't forget, we have an announcement next time, so make sure to tune in. So my name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. Thank you for listening to Bat Books for Beginners. With historical knowledge and a rabbit around, they break the back family stories down. Gotham people in danger and pain yell, thank God, as he swings down to save them. Batmobile races through a red light The GCPD has enough for tonight Coast to coast Chris and Jerry host Bat Books for Beginners Joker's Toast Chris and Jerry host Bat Books for Beginners